This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Maxwood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Greg Bogus. Greg, do you want to say hi? Hi. Now, we had Greg on episode 142, and there we talked about depression, mental illness, and then we also had him on 258, which was a whole lot less long ago. It was about a year ago. Yeah. Talking about Twilio, which it looks like you're still doing the Twilio thing from your jacket. I am still doing the Twilio thing. That's right. I've been at Twilio for about three and a half years now. Nice. That's like forever in developer years, I swear. Yeah, especially in the startup world as well. Yep. Yeah, you haven't been on the show for a year. Do you want to just give everybody a brief introduction or reminder of who you are? Yeah, sure. So currently I'm at Twilio. I served on the developer evangelism team for three and a half years, or actually, I guess about three years. And then a couple months ago, moved over to leading our developer community team, which runs kind of in parallel to developer evangelism. So they both fall under what would typically be considered developer outreach. And I lived in Chicago for 11 years. That's where I started doing Ruby and then moved to New York uh, almost exactly a year ago. So we live in uh, Brooklyn, my wife, uh, my two and a half year old daughter, and uh, we have a dog. Oh, wow. Yeah, Brooklyn's been pretty great. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to New York City for the first time last year. It was a cool area. Of course, I, I didn't make it over to Brooklyn. I just I was on the island. I don't remember. What took you there? Microsoft Connect. Okay. So we did a bunch of JavaScript episodes out there. and Yeah. Nice. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I did. I stayed a couple extra days and saw the sites. Cool. So. Yeah. You know, my first several trips to New York, I'd come here a few times a year for work. I always was just in Manhattan as well. And it wasn't until about 18 months or so ago. And my wife and daughter tagged along on a trip and we stayed with friends who lived in Brooklyn. And prior to that, I'd always come to Manhattan and say the city's incredible. I'd never want to live here. Pace of life is a little bit quieter in Brooklyn depending on the neighborhood you end up in. And I think that we drastically underestimated what a, a great place it would be to raise a, uh, our daughter even. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, I think our neighborhood feels like kind of the sleepy town from the seventies the uh, with all these family owned businesses and the buildings don't go higher than three stories. And then I hop on a train and 30 minutes later, I'm at the office union square and the empire state buildings right out the window. And it's just, it's a really cool place to live. Cool. Very cool. Now, I sent you a series of questions that I'm going to ask you. And yeah. yeah, let's just dive right into that. The first question is, how did you get into programming? Yeah, so my parents, so I'm 37. I was born in 79. Uh, I like to joke that the kids from the 80s, they just don't realize how crazy the 70s were. My birthday I, I, I'm is... I'm with you on that. Yeah. My, my, my birthday is on Christmas Eve, so I had a full week in the 70s. But it was nuts, man. It was it was just crazy. So I'm older uh, than you. Are you? By 10 days. 
Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, that's uh, I will defer to your seniority on there we go. any matters that come up here. My parents, I, I was probably five or six. They got a TRS-80. And I, I still don't exactly know why. My dad's a pastor and my mom's a nurse. So there wasn't necessarily a work <laughs> oh, reason wow. for them to have it. Yeah. And, and like those things, they cost two or three grand, I think. I, w- I think they cost like two or three grand in 1985. I mean, mm-hmm. and the first one we got didn't even have floppies that had a cassette drive oh, wow. and yeah you would it was crazy you would store programs on it and you would basically rewind the tape all the way to the beginning reset the analog counter to zero and then you to access whatever program you wanted you would basically fast forward to you know however many minutes on the tape it was and then press play or something i guess and it would read it but those computers you know obviously there was no internet you know, there were some games, but not really. But when you turned it on, it would boot into basic. And so the most instant gratification you could get out of this machine, especially as a kid, was to write programs in basic. And there were magazines back then. I remember getting 321 Contact. That was a science, mm-hmm. you know, based magazine for kids. And on the back cover, there would be a program in basic, you know, let's say 50, 60 lines that you would sit there and you would copy, not copy and paste, but just literally copy line by line that program. <laughs> nice. in. And then you would, you know, tweak it and make it do stuff. So I started programming in basic as a kid. And then we got, you know, at some point we got a, a PC and the, that had, I think MS-DOS shipped with QBasic. So I did that and then had friends in middle school who were introduced me to Pascal and then C and C++. And then in uh, 99, I think I started doing right after I graduated high school, I started doing um, PHP. And uh, and that's when I started getting into web stuff. Wow. That's quite the journey. It, you know, I just I feel really fortunate. Some kids discover sports. I, I didn't do anything athletic really till high school. You know, some kids pick up paint and, and a canvas. And I think for me that programming just mm-hmm. fulfilled the same desires. You know, you start with a blank screen, you hit the keys for a little bit and then something happens and then you press the keys some more and something else happens. And I just feel really fortunate that this hobby that I, you know, stumbled upon by nature of my parents being, you know, willing and able to purchase, uh, you know, a personal computer when it didn't necessarily serve a lot of pragmatic reasons. For some reason, you know, I, I took to it and then this hobby uh, this thing I just did with my free time uh, turned out, you know, you can make money doing that these days. So yeah, uh, just really right place, right time. Just feel really fortunate there. It's it's been a it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing when you really think about it. You know, my parents they got a computer when I was what like nine or ten, and I didn't really program on it, but you know, I played the little text games off of DOS and. And then Windows, you know, and and I kind of got into it. I got into electronics a whole lot more. But, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, what if I'd grown up somewhere else? Or, you know, what if my parents were in a different financial position or whatever? And Yeah. You know. But, yeah, it turns out that, yeah, I learned to do something that I really love doing. I even wonder about what if, say, the exact same me born today and introduced to computers the uh, when you think about the only computer you had 
you know, mm-hmm. the fact that programming was a, was the most direct path to instant gratification, right? Like there weren't all right. these other distractions and a basic shipped with every machine was in, so accessible. I mean, 10 print, hello world, 20 go to 10 run. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how people got started programming the editor and the ID or the, say the editor and the interactive shell were the same thing. It was the same program. Mm-hmm. There was no multitasking, you know, it was just so accessible. And I just wonder, you know, coming in, something I think a lot about is if you're coming into programming today or say you want to learn Ruby, the, you know, there's a non-trivial amount of setup that needs to be done there. There's a, you know, Ruby actually is probably one of the easier languages to get into once you get it set up right and whatnot. But if you talk about most people want to go towards making a website these days and the things that you need to learn just to ship and say host your own website mm-hmm. is a lot more than writing two lines of basic. Yep. That's so true. Well, and computers are so ubiquitous that, you know, it's it's almost not cool anymore or not as yeah. mysterious, I guess. It doesn't have the mystique and the, you know, the things that made it fun and interesting, you know, back when we were kids because you know, you had one on your desk and I had one on my desk, but that was it. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, I I didn't have one that I put in my pocket. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I think certainly a sort of a countercultural aspect to it. You know, as a, uh, as a middle school kid who didn't have a lot of friends, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly something to do. And I will say though, it still feels like superpowers. I think that's the, yeah, that's the amazing thing about programming more than anything else is it it feels like magic. And even today, if you can get past that learning curve, not learning curve might even be the wrong word. If you can get past that initial inertia of just getting, say, an environment set up and, and you know, getting past like the mental block of like this is, you know, impossibly hard or, you know, I'm not the right type of person to be a programmer. I could never be a programmer. If you can get past kind of like that BS mm-hmm. and get into it, once you get to the hello world and whatever language you're doing, it still feels like a superpower. Yes. And that, that part's the magical part. Yep. So how did you get from PHP and web stuff to Ruby? Yeah. So I started doing PHP in uh, 99, I think it was. it was. It was my sophomore year in college. A buddy and I started a uh, .com for, that was back when startups were called .coms. And it was, my friend's dad worked as a collections attorney. And these days, you know, like post-financial collapse and all, you know, I, it just seems, I'm like, man, that was a really shady thing. But it was called <laughs> debtforsale.com. And it was a marketplace for distressed debt instruments. So people who haven't paid, you know, people who haven't paid up on their debts, uh, folks will come along and, and collect up all of those debts, package them in a portfolio, and then sell them off for pennies on the dollar. I don't know the state of the industry today, but back then, you know, I think it was just behind on the curve that's happened everywhere, which was it was, you know, this inefficient marketplace that was primarily driven through brokers and personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And we started up a marketplace where people could list their portfolios and other people could find them and 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 you know, we'd make an introduction and whatnot. We started that company and then we sold it eight months later for all equity and a company that went defunct shortly afterwards called, what was it called? EDET, I think. So, you know, I like to say I started and sold a company during the 
uh, first dot com boom, and all I got was a, a polo shirt out of it because that was basically uh, all that came with it. But you know, I think that solidified a couple different things for me. It a reinforced that I wanted to always be programming. You know, just the the fact that like two kids working out of the parents' bedroom in the summer could uh could launch something and and then sell it for you know imaginary money was pretty powerful and we could do that because we could program it also let me know though that i probably was never going to be happy just programming that i always wanted to be kind of working on the people side of that as Uh well so you know after that i you know i went back to school i didn't graduate i ended up failing out a few years later but uh never was never did the uh like hey i'm just going to quit and pursue startup stuff did php you know on and off for quite a while i ended up getting a job at a consultancy called table xi in chicago mm-hmm. and decided to start you know a small consultancy of the developers i like talking to people the most and so just kind of migrated towards being the sales guy and that was something that I had some sort of natural, I don't know, I like talking to people, but I wasn't good at sales, right? And so I just decided I'm going to focus on that. I stopped programming for a while and it was just like, I'm just going to focus, see if I can get good at the sales thing and and not get distracted by the coding. And so I kind of put programming down for like a year and a half or two years. And then um, at some point in there, I just, we actually, my wife and I quit our jobs and we went and we traveled for a while, Uh, went to Europe for a bit and It was really interesting being in a place in our lives where we didn't have to show up to work every single day, I think was revealing to us in how we spent our time. And I ended up spending my time writing, like blogging, uh, taking lots of pictures, talking to people and programming. Uh, And it was around that time I started picking up Ruby again. And, uh, or I started picking up Ruby for the first time. Uh, I think living in Chicago, you know, that's where Rails started up. That's where Basecamp is. Uh, So Chicago is very much a Ruby town and that's what TableXI had moved over Mm to. And given a whole bunch of free time, I came back to programming, I think, for all the same reasons that I I got into it uh, to start off with. And uh, Ruby was the language of choice because that was uh, what TableXI was doing. And that's that's what most of the city of Chicago was doing at that moment. So uh, and just really kind of fell in love with Ruby. What was it about Ruby, you know, having done a lot of these other, you know, basic and I think you mentioned C++, C++, C-sharp and then PHP and all these others. What was it about Ruby that kind of got you, oh, this is cool? <laughs> it's so beautiful and – and I, I this is embarrassing. I don't know if expressive is the right or the wrong word here. So I don't know. A couple of things that probably jumped out at me would be for loops, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that instead of writing for I equals zero, I is less than or equal to 10, I plus plus, and then print array uh, with the index of I, you just say – Array.each do yep. puts this thing, right? And there's so many beautiful little things in Ruby where it's obvious that the language was designed to be enjoyable to write and to make sense as you're writing it in a way that I just haven't come across in any other language. I love the way that you can define range, you know, with the the parentheses one dot dot 100 dot each do i you know that makes so much more sense than this for loop mm-hmm. that is multi-purposed right but not obvious to someone you can take someone who's never programmed before and show them some ruby code it might not be immediate obvious but once you explain it to them they're like oh yeah that makes sense you know i'll do live coding demos in front of rooms of folks who have never done ruby before and, and i love doing you know we joke that um 
writing Ruby is about the closest you can come to writing pseudocode that actually runs, mm-hmm. you know, cause Ruby, like Ruby looks so like if you're going to write out a uh, pseudocode and then write out Ruby next to it, the Ruby doesn't look a whole lot different than the pseudocode of it often. So I just found I could do a whole lot with a few lines of code and, and it just felt like it was a joy to, to write in Ruby. Cool. So uh, the next question is what contributions do you feel like you've made to the Ruby community? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's probably probably one of those uh, questions that's probably better for other people to answer because I'm not sure that I could really measure my own uh, impact on it. My, my guess is that the thing that I'm probably most well known for to the extent that I am known in the Ruby community uh, would be for talking quite a bit about mental health in the community. So I have a, I have bipolar disorder and we did a whole episode on this uh, Ruby rogues a couple years back, three, three and a half years back now, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was was right before I started at Twilio. That was, that was pretty great experience. Um, I had listened to Ruby rogues for a long time and then being on the Skype call with all of you, was like just speaking up in this conversation that I'd been listening to for years. Uh, it was it was really it, it was oddly comforting, you know, just uh, actually chatting with all y'all. But the short story for those of you who haven't heard that is that I have bipolar disorder, and it really kicked in during my last couple years of of college. Uh, I ended up failing out, ended up really struggling for a number of years, just struggling with, you know, just staying afloat with being able to keep jobs, struggling with, uh, you know, relationships because I was constantly letting people down, struggling with just getting out of bed with paying bills and stuff. And, uh, and then struggling with a lot of guilt, knowing that I had had a lot of privileges in life uh, mm-hmm. and that I knew how to program and, and you know, that I was just what seemed to be being a lazy bastard, like sleeping 16 hours a day, like getting fired and right. stuff. So I finally, you know, ended up getting treatment for that in 07, I think. So coming up on 10 years now, uh, started taking meds every day for bipolar. Life got progressively better. It wasn't an overnight thing, but over time it got better. And then it would have been about four years ago, I guess. We had a coworker at Table XI who was struggling with a lot of the same symptoms that I had struggled with and had talked to him. His name was Caleb. And I just kind of, you know, I just I saw him like showing up to work late, you know, and the excuse was different every time and, and just saw a lot of the same inconsistencies that I used to experience while he was kind of wearing the mask that everything was okay. And so I just pulled him aside one day and I was just like, Hey man, I used to, do similar stuff. I have bipolar. I don't know if that's what you have or not, but it might be worth going and getting checked out. And so he said, you know, I have wondered for a long time if I had something similar, but, uh, you know, it's not like I was just going to cold call psychiatrists from the yellow pages. So kind of figured out someone that he could go to. And Caleb was big in the Ruby community. He had, he had really, like intern and worked at uh, several big like rails consultancies and uh, especially in the Chicago area. And uh, he taught me so much about Ruby. He was the first really advanced Ruby developer that I paired with. And, and I just, I mean, I still, every time I, I open up Ruby, I just write some Ruby code. I, I think of him, he sets up this appointment for a Friday and ends up missing it because he didn't have the hundred bucks necessary to, to pay the, the psychiatrist. Uh, and then on Saturday he died of a 
accidental drug overdose. And and it was pretty shocking. And I just kind of wondered what would have happened if he had had someone else, you know, just like raise these concerns months earlier. So I was scheduled to give uh, a lightning talk uh, at Table XI. We would do these like monthly kind of internal, we called them table talks. And uh, I was scheduled to give one on fantasy football because that's really when I started learning Ruby, how I got into Ruby. I started doing, uh, I was not a fan of the NFL at all, but I was like, I saw my friends playing fantasy football. I was like, I wonder if I could beat them at that game just by doing data and writing some code around it. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my project. So I was going to talk about that. I go to the CEO, Josh Golden, and I'm like, hey, man, how about instead of talking about fantasy football, I basically just get up there and say like, hey, I have bipolar. I think maybe Caleb did too. This is kind of what it looks like for me. Uh, and if, you know, if you think this might affect you too, like here's the number for my therapist and my psychiatrist and gave this talk, six minute talk to the 40 people in the room that day. I think two or three hit me up over the next couple of days saying, Hey, you know, I, I think I might have something similar. Could I get that info from you? Um, and so I submitted to speak at uh, mountain West Ruby, which is where I met you. Mm-hmm. You were there the first time I ever gave like a a full length talk on this. So, I, and that was my first time I had spoken at Windy City Rails before I'd given a lightning talk at Windy City Rails, but this, uh, Mountain West Ruby was my first time ever speaking at a, you know, giving a full length talk at a Ruby, uh, really at any conference. And so, yeah, I gave like half an hour talk on it. And the response was just, you know, there's this moment before you get up on stage, before I got up on stage to talk about that, where I'm just like, why am I doing this? You know, this is such a terrible idea. Uh, like, why would I get up on stage and talk about the most shameful, embarrassing stuff of my life? Why would these people care? And then the response from the Ruby community was just so welcoming and loving and has continued to been to be for the last four years. Um, so that kind of started me. And then, you know, I've now given that talk several dozen times at you know, various conferences and meetups and schools and stuff. And I've written quite a bit about it. And you yeah, had the pleasure of speaking on a few different podcasts about it. And, you know, I, and now, you know, it's, it's really cool to see. I think that I am very far from the only one who does it. I actually haven't really been given the talk much uh, the last year or two, in large part because it, it feels like maybe I don't need to as much now because there's a whole lot of other people sharing their stories uh, now too. And uh, that's been just really awesome to see. Yeah, well, I have a story to tell you. Uh, okay. So about a year, maybe a year and a half after you came on Ruby Rogues, I was at Agile Roots Conference, which is held in Salt Lake City. It's for Agile Development. And they were doing lightning talks. And so... One of the, you know, one of the guys there that I knew, he got up on stage and he, he said, look, he said, um, I just need to say something. And he basically said that he had heard your episode on Ruby Rogues and had decided to go get checked out because he was having major issues. And so, uh, he's like, you you never know where you're going to find the, the person that says the thing that you need to hear, but Essentially, your episode prompted him to go get help, and it made it made it so that he could have a relationship with his wife again, uh, wow. with his kids again, and that he could actually feel like he could contribute at work and things like that. And it totally changed his life. And 
you know, it, it kind of struck me at the same time because it was like all I did was ask Greg to come on the show, but you never know what kind of impact it's going to have, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just one one guy, one developer, but for him and for his life, man, it matters. Mm. And, you know, it, yeah. You know, and I've gotten other emails from people too, basically saying, you know what, um, I don't know how to tell you this and I'm not going to go into details, but yeah, I can, you know, that episode convinced me to go get help and I really needed it. And it's, wow. you know, it's that kind of impact, you know, and maybe it's not, oh, well, I wrote this open source library that everybody uses, but I mean, it, you change the way somebody writes code or you change the way somebody lives so that they can live with themselves. I mean, dang, the, the second one matters. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story, man. That's, uh, you know, and I think the, the important thing there is that you know, he did all the hard work, right? Like going, setting up that appointment, going, putting in the work, trying, you know, having that courage to try out the, you know, whatever, if he had to do meds or whatever it is. And that often doesn't work right the first time. I mean, my big takeaway there is, is just what I've learned is I think two things. One, just how the, the value of just sharing your story and, and being willing to be vulnerable. Um, and, and two, just that we're not at all alone in this community and that it's really easy to underestimate the this Ruby community's you know capacity for compassion and empathy. There's just I, I mean I, I just think we're very very fortunate to to be a part of this community that you know and the Matt such Matt such such a standard there that the people here are just great, are just really great. Yep. And I, I think I've seen that you know not just with mental health but with other things. Just that when somebody is willing to just step forward and kind of go first and just say, this is what I've struggled with, or this is even from a, a technical point of view, like this is something I don't understand, or this is a place where mm -hmm. I've had problems in the past. It A, opens up the floor for other people to say, yeah, me too. And B, opens up room for someone else to come along and say, yeah, you know, I, I was there. Like, let me show you how I got out of that. And I'm just really thankful for how open our community is to that. Yep. So what are you working on now? <laughs> yeah, so we just, I, I guess two things. We just, a couple weeks ago, had our big conference for Twilio. It's called Signal. We had about 2,000 developers out there. We had, nice. uh, yeah, it was great, man. We had about 100 speakers come and was part of the team that organized the speakers. And, and that was just really cool to see. So now I'm, you know, I just two months ago uh, stepped in this uh, leadership role with the developer community team. And it's my first time. I'm 37. It's my first time ever doing kind of a formal management role. And so just trying to learn what that looks like and, and then just figuring out you know, we have a, just a ton of opportunity. We're really fortunate with Twilio. We've had over a million developers sign up that you know use Twilio and just trying to figure out like what does it really mean to have a developer community? What does it mean to mm -hmm. just you know to to help organize that and, and have it be more than you know, have it to be a community instead of a bunch of customers. And so that's kind of the thing that's on my mind these days is, you know, what does, what does being a good community member look like? And how does that differ from being a developer evangelist, which is a job I, I really enjoyed and, and have just, I mean, I think it was best job in the world for three years and now I'm trying something new and, and super excited by the opportunities there. That's awesome. So yeah, I guess the last thing that we do is picks. Do you have some picks, some things you want to shout out about? Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. 
The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. Yeah, for so for the Ruby community, one if you don't know him already, check out Phil Nash. He's based in London. He's one of our evangelists there. I, the impression I get is that Phil's like kind of sort of famous in the UK community over there. So he's got a bunch of great blog posts and uh, a bunch of um. Uh, he's just awesome. If you ever see him at a conference, like he's just a great speaker. There's another book that I am reading, and oh my gosh, I, I should I had this pulled up beforehand, but it's been really helpful for me. As I make this transition in, into a leadership role and the manager's path, it's by Camille uh, Fernier, I think is my guess at how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. But it talks about what does that that transition look like from becoming a developer to becoming a tech lead to becoming a manager, the challenges that you'll run into uh, along that way, um, just how you can actually you know focus on serving the people who uh, you're, you're tasked with leading there. Um, so that's been really interesting because it's both from kind of a philosophical perspective as what's the difference of the job and then from a very pragmatic point of view, like how do you help uh, do career planning for, for the folks on your team, et cetera. So um, that and then uh, from a podcast perspective, stepping outside of the tech world for folks who are listening to this, uh, probably listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, it's super popular. But if you haven't listened to it, I really have been enjoying uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast. In particular, there's an episode from actually it's been almost two years ago, I think. Uh, but if you haven't listened to it before, check out the episode with Jamie Foxx from a couple years ago. He is just a consummate entertainer and it's just fascinating listening to him, how he uh, grew into the, the role that he is uh, now plays as a stand-up comedian and actor and musician. There's also one I really enjoyed with Jocko Willink, uh, who is the commander of the uh, most decorated special operations unit in the uh, uh, Iraq war. And um, as someone myself who, who is not super strong on discipline, it was really interesting listening to someone who is on the uh, all the way, uh, the extreme end of the discipline scale. Uh, if you're not in the military stuff, it'll probably be a turnoff because he is almost a caricature of uh, someone who of a Navy SEAL, but it, it's it, it was uh, really interesting listening to him and his approach on leadership and and you know how he goes about kind of convincing his mind to do the things he wants it to do because that's uh, something I always struggle with. Nice. I'd give actually one more shout out on the podcast, the Ezra Klein show uh, is something I've really been enjoying too. Uh, he's just brilliant, and uh, if you're looking for a place to listen on um, current you know, politics and current events and whatnot. He just has some great authors come on uh, that just talk about some really, I mean, it's just like every show is like two really smart people discussing important things uh, and really enjoyed listening to that. Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of things. I think I've mentioned Ruby Dev Summit a couple of times. I wound up postponing Ruby Remote Conf and making it into Ruby Dev Summit. I also changed things up. There's no CFP. I'm just inviting speakers. Nice. Um, and it's going to be free. So go check it out at rubydevsummit.com. And yeah, you can buy a ticket, but the ticket gets you into the Slack channel. We're probably going to do some extras like some webinars or workshops. And then it also gets you 
access to the recordings. So if you can't make it to a talk, then you need to buy a ticket in order to watch it. Uh, otherwise, you can just come to it live and come to it for free. I'm curious, what was the decision around not doing the CFP? I talked to a few people. It's funny because this is on air, but that's fine. Uh, I talked to a few people. Uh, ben Ornstein is one um, in particular that I talked to. And he mentioned, because I had somebody sending out emails saying, please submit to the CFP. And he said that that's kind of not cool if you're an experienced speaker. Mm. And you you want to just be invited, yeah. which makes sense to me. The other thing is, is that most of the people that I wound up sending out the please submit to the CFP to were people that I would have loved to have speak anyway. And so I should have just invited them in the first place. Yeah. And then finally, the other thing is, is that, you know, a lot of these people are doing interesting things in the community. And so I wanted to be able to give them some money. Mm. And so I'm also inviting people that I would like to give money to. Um, Yeah. And so essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking whatever money comes in from the paid ticket sales and I'm splitting it 50, 50 with the speakers. That's awesome, man. So, you know, the other 50% will go to cover things like marketing and crap, but yeah. Oh, I mean, things cost money and conferences cost lots of money. And so I think something that's, uh, until you've gone through that process isn't obvious, but, uh, well, that's really cool, man. I think that, that, yeah, that's such a, having just gone through this process, you know, that curating that list of speakers is, uh, can be quite difficult, but it's also just such a cool opportunity to bring together a whole bunch of people that, you know, who's, who have like awesome stories to tell. So uh, yeah. I uh, really enjoyed participating in uh, remote RubyConf last year. Yep. Uh, well, this a, is going to be online too. And, and I'm trying cool. to make sure people know that because I've had, I had a, that was the other thing is that I had a bunch of people reach out to me and say, Hey, look, I want to come to Ruby remote conf, but I can't afford it. Yeah. You know, Cause a hundred dollar ticket for somebody in some of these depressed economies, they just can't, they can't pay for it. So yeah. it's like, Hey, yeah. look, get on, come for free. Yeah. You know, but yeah. yeah, that's, that's awesome. Man. That, uh, and I think that's a, I haven't seen a ton of remote conferences like that. I thought that was a really novel way to like to do that, you know, to you know, what I think there's incredible value in meeting people in person. I just think the human brain is hardwired to meet folks in person, but there's also just so much value from watching talks online and, and it's so much easier on the speakers if you can just hop on, you know, into the, the phone booth and whatnot and do it. So I'm glad to see that you're still doing that. That uh, I thought it was just a really a great idea. Yep. But yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So I'm inviting speakers now. We have a keynote speaker already and that's Uncle Bob Martin. Oh, he's so, wonderful. So yeah, I've seen a bunch of his talks. I've actually been reading okay. Clean Code. Should I admit with chagrin that this is my first time reading it? I don't think I've read that. I read The Clean Coder, and I read that that same year that I was just getting into Ruby. I should go back and read The Clean Code, so I don't think there's any uh, shame there. Clean Coder dramatically changed the way I thought about The Clean Coder is basically all about, and Clean Code might be the same, all about making the the difference between being an amateur programmer and a professional programmer. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was brilliant. It just really changed the way that I thought about my job. But but yeah, that's a good... A good keynote speaker there for you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm talking to a few other people. I've, you know, I've reached out to, you know, five or six people that I want to keynote the event. I've gotten responses from two of them that are checking their schedules, and then Uncle Bob sure. said yes. So that's great. Um, that's awesome. If somebody did buy a ticket to Ruby Remote Conference, I had a few people do that, even though there weren't speakers listed or anything. And they can either get a refund and just come for free, or they can just convert the ticket straight over. Hmm. 
because they probably bought it for cheaper than what, what right. the Dev Summit's for. But yeah, ultimately this way I can put something out there to the community for free and yeah. uh, we can get great stuff out there. And yeah, I, I fully intend after, you know, a few months, you know, probably three months or six months, I haven't decided to release the Dev Summit videos to YouTube or something. I'll just trickle them out. But Nice. And I have a question is, have you done your Ruby story yet? I have. I think mine was the one that was supposed to go out this week, but I've been oh, having issues okay. with the editor. So. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing that. I feel like uh, uh, you get a lot of good stories out of other people, but I'm not sure that I've, I've heard your story there. Yep. Yeah, it, it's coming out soon-ish. So yeah, okay. keep an eye out for that. But yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this show up. Sounds good. If people want to get in touch with you or join the Twilio community, yeah. what should they do? Yeah, I, drop me an email. I'm gb at twilio.com. I also say we are we started up a program a month or two ago called Twilio Voices. So it's basically a, a guest author program for our blog. So we're looking for people to that we can pay to write content. Um, for our posts. So if you built anything cool, if there's any kind of nuance, the Ruby language that, you know, you, you had to do some Googling to figure out how to solve a particular problem and you couldn't find the, the answer in one quick and easy spot uh, and you're interested in writing up a blog post on that, let us know if you've done something cool with Twilio uh, in the past uh, and you want to share that project, uh, let us know. But we are, are paying for blog posts to publish at twilio.com slash blog. Uh, so we'd love to have uh, folks participate there. And then I'm Greggy B on Twitter, G-R-E-G-G-Y-B. Awesome. Well, thanks for everything. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everyone next week. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.